Good morning, everybody. Welcome live stream. Those who will be watching and listening later. Uh, we're in the gospel according to Luke, the gospel for all the people, and we're going to be talking about that as we go through. Today, I want to talk again, as we did last week, about the gospel for young and old. I can see you. I can't see you on live stream, but you can chime in and make a comment if so. How many of you love 50s, 60s, and 70s music like me? Me, 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 me. I do. I know. And I know a lot of my, a lot of my illustrations are time-stamped. Uh, I can pull a Carly Simon lyric out like nobody to make an illustration that only me in 70s and 60s people will understand. But uh, I'm talking about uh, old and young, so if you're a little bit older than me or you're like me and you're a little bit older and you remember 50s music a little bit or 60s on 6, you have Sirius XM like me and you love my man Flash Phelps on, on the morning, 60s on 6, 70s on 7 with Casey Kasem on Saturday afternoon. How many of you remember American Top 40 back in the day? Remember that? I remember that, right? Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. That's what he'd always say. Well, anyway, there are artists who are re-releasing some of their hits with new lyrics to accommodate their age. Accommodate their age. Like Herman's Hermits. Mrs. Brown, you got an ugly brown spot. Right? <laughs> or the Bee Gees. And how can you men? A broken head. <laughs> Marvin Gaye, I heard it through the grape nuts. Johnny Nash, I can't see clearly now. Right? And on and on. Leo Sayer, remember him? You make me feel like napping. I'm going to nap my life away. Right? right? Denture Queen by Abba. Paul Simon. There must be. 50 ways to lose your liver. <laughs> Roberta Flack. The first time ever I forgot your fate. <laughs> the Commodores. Yes, you once. Twice. Remember that part? Three times to the bathroom. <laughs> Rolling Stones. You can't always go when you want. <laughs> but if you try sometime, you still can't always go when you want. And my friend uh, Ringo Starr, who would say, Paul and John wrote me a song so I could have a part of Sgt. Pepper album. I get by with a little help from Depends, right? <laughs> Do you need... Anyway. There's some others, but I had to edit those out because I've already popped my spiritual giant bubble in front of you today. Um, we're, talking about, we're talking about God's desire to intersect generations. God has a plan to pass the torch of the kingdom to a younger generation. God has a plan to use the older generation and also to bless the older generation in their lives for their faithfulness. How? By turning the hearts of the young generation toward them to give them honor, love, to serve them, and affirm them. That's his plan for every generation. In order for that to take place, and listen, God's gonna do what God's gonna do with me or without me, 
with you or without you. God's going to do what God's going to do, but I don't want to miss it to you. I want to be a part of that. It doesn't just happen by accident. We participate, and how do we do it? We keep turning our hearts toward God, and we keep turning our hearts toward one another. To be faithful to Him, we must turn our hearts to one another, not just to God. More specifically, as Elijah, as Malachi said, we looked at it last week, the older generation, God wants us to turn our hearts to the younger and the younger to the older generation. And as I challenged you last week, and I want to continue to challenge you, not necessarily we're going to have a church program put in place so you can do this, but you, you, a practical personal ministry challenge that I'm asking you to consider that the voice of the Lord is speaking to you as we journey through this Gospel of Luke. Age 60 and above, third and fourth quarter saints praying for overtime. God's not through blessing you. And he wants you to be a blessing. Turn your hearts, turn your hearts in practical, personal ways toward a young couple, a college student, a career pursuer. Let God show you someone in our church family, someone in the kingdom, someone in the community, and turn to your, them. As Pop Mauer at Central Assembly used to do for me, an on fire T McGee at 18 and a half. For the next four years on the crucible of coming home between college breaks, praying at the altar, asking God's will, and answering calls, and answering uh, calls to discipleship, Pop Mauer, probably in his 70s, would come up behind me, put his arm around me, and say, keep praying, little buddy. God's going to use you. Keep praying, little buddy. God's going to use you. God bless Pop Mauer today. Young generation, turn to the sages. Turn to those in our community, in the kingdom, in your circle and go to them in a hurry, like Mary went to Elizabeth. We're not even out of chapter two yet. Four of the six people mentioned in this great inauguration of heaven on earth are elderly people. More specifically, very old people. And what a powerful impact they have upon Mary and Joseph, two young people. All six of these mentioned would be spoken of, here we are 2,000 some years later, talking about this intersection. So I want to dive in the story of Simeon and Anna as they cross paths with Mary and Joseph and hear what God says to us. Would you pray with me? May you speak to us, Lord, all of us today. Nobody's arrived. We need to hear your voice. We need your hand on our lives all of us. As we tune into your voice in your word, may the Holy Spirit turn our hearts, not just to you, but oh, that's so important, but to one another. Speak to us personally. Personally. This walk is personal, not just for some, but for all. Change generations because each of us respond in faith to the personal directives that you make to our hearts and minds today. For great is your faithfulness throughout all generations, Lord. Would you lift your hands and praise him for that? Great is your faithfulness to all generations, Lord, and unto us. In Jesus' name, You want God to do something in your life and in your world, say amen. Amen. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, and I so thank Tim Skiles for highlighting these phrases we're going to come to. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, stop there. What this is going on is a woman was to wait a number of days after delivering her child as a time of purification, and then, along with her husband, was to do the following. Go to the temple, house of the Lord, and perform an act of worship, sacrifice, purification, and dedication. Now, Jesus was born in what town? It was a little town. What's it called? Yeah, you go, Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means, house of bread? The bread of life was born in the house of bread. Isn't that cool? So, six miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. So, Mary and Joseph head there, and it goes on, verse 22 and following. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? As it is written, they did it the way it's supposed to be in the Word. In the law of the Lord, quote, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law, in the law of the Lord. In other words, a sacrificial offering that was approved by God's Word. And for them, Luke's detail, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Luke is all about details, but he's not talking about the details about the young couple's nursery construction project in their home in Nazareth way up north. There's nothing about a baby shower or any of those great, exciting things couples and families celebrate and treasure, and we should. But he highlights something else. Purification rites required by the law of Moses. Here's what that means. They both took him to present him to the Lord as the Bible called for, especially the firstborn males, and to offer a sacrifice. The Holy Spirit is showing us at the beginning of the gospel what worship is and how God sees worship and the importance of it. Worship in the house of the Lord, in the Word, in the house, according to the Word. Get this, both mom and dad. Mom, if you bring your kids alone, God love you, God bless you, we're praying for you. Dad, if you bring your kids alone, God love you, God bless you. For those who are alone, God love you and God bless you. Both mom and dad, dad and mom, were united in that. And then he tells us the type of offering they gave. It tells us about Mary and Joseph's economic status. They didn't give a lamb. They didn't give a ram. They didn't give a goat. They didn't have the money to do that, the means to do that. They gave the offering that described that they were from a lower middle class or poverty level. Because that's the kind of offering Joseph and Mary brought. You can find about that in Leviticus. What a good start for a family when you think of it this way. A God-approved foundation for family worship is this. Dad and mom and kids in the house of the Lord, living under the word of the Lord. What a good start. Worshiping according to God's word. Now notice this. With a sacrifice of love and honor to our faithful God in which we teach our kids. I love seeing the kids and shine kids. Last week, uh, I stayed down there a little bit while you guys were starting the music and worship, and, and uh, Tyler uh, was talking about the, the, worship, the offering, and little kids were coming up with their dollars and their money, and 
putting it in there. What an, a, a, a great discipleship t- a lesson. For young people to consider it a sacred and hallowed thing to worship the Lord with a sacrificial offering. And you know what's good? God makes provision so all of us can come to him, but he always requires a sacrifice. Because worship without sacrifice isn't worth much. And he requires a sacrifice from everybody. Different types of offerings and gifts, but all a sacrifice. Not to purchase blessings from God or not to pay for forgiveness. Jesus Christ paid the price for forgiveness and opens the door of grace. But a sacrifice that honors the price God paid by giving his firstborn, giving his son. And we worship sacrificially in giving honor to him who from the foundation of time declared to give his firstborn, the firstborn over all creation as the lamb slain for you and me and all. And that's why God judged the firstborn of Egypt who didn't come under the ark, so to speak, of Moses and Israel and the lamb's blood. They could have. After nine plagues, you think you'd be finding out a plan of salvation, right? And it was offered. And there's even an offering, there's even the opportunity, he even says it. If a foreigner comes in, let him come in. Here's what you do. Here's what they do. As Alpha and Omega beginning to end, God gave his firstborn even for them, even for Pharaoh. And that's why he judged Pharaoh. We are not our own. Israel, God would say, I redeemed you from the bondage of Pharaoh. I parted the sea for you to cross over into you. I saved your firstborn, bringing you into promised land living. Your firstborn belongs to me. Your heart belongs to me. Church, I redeemed you not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of my own son, my firstborn in place of all of you. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice. Not equal gifts. We all have different economic status, but he requires equal sacrifice. Now watch this. Those who are rooted in the house of the Lord, God has a plan. God has a plan in the house of the Lord where he makes connection between generations. He has God moments waiting for us, and some of us miss it because we're not in the house of the Lord enough. You don't have to go to church to be saved, but it makes salvation a lot easier. I won't charge you for that. (laughs) One of the ways he launches our legacy is by being connected in the house of the Lord. That's what happened that day with Joseph and Mary and Jesus Enter Simeon, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was ready, righteous, and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him, how? By the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon had a position of honor where? In the house of the Lord. And where did it come from? Luke describes him. He was righteous. The Greek word is dikaios. Last week we talked about the righteousness that God approves of. Dikaiosunetheu, meaning the righteousness of God. Dikaios means you hear the voice. God's righteousness is about hearing his voice and following it. God's righteousness, you can't replace that with church attendance. You can't replace that with giving what God doesn't need if you put it in place of listening to his voice. Not righteous. 
Righteousness, dikaios, is about listening to the voice. It's also, it's also relational. It's just not you and God. It's love your neighbor as well as you love God, right? It's, so it's relational. Righteousness in God's eyes is that. And it's also from the heart. From the heart, man believes unto righteousness. He was righteous. Also, he was devout. Devout. The word is eulabes. Eulabes. When Plato, Plato used this word all the time, and when Plato would write about Eulabes and add Dikaios in front of it, righteous and devout, he always was talking about someone who was a statesman, a statesman, or a statewoman, stateswoman. Simeon was highly respected as a statesman in the house of the Lord. He was highly respected as a statesman regarding the things of God. Why? He consistently lived over the long haul a righteousness that was like this. He listened to God's voice. He connected to God's people, and it was from his heart. Statesmen make statements that hold weight and have respect by their lives, and therefore what they say holds weight. Now, you know as well as I do, we all are making statements today, right? Planting your flag where it shouldn't be planted, Posting with misspelled words, but it's passionate, so who cares? And everybody has a statement. Everybody is setting everybody straight. Some make statements as if they are statesmen and stateswomen with five miles on their tires. With a year or so of faith under their feet. They've never battled a tsunami demon attack and put it out there as if there's someone like Simeon or Jeremiah or Mother Teresa. Now, God is going to use us. I used to do the same thing. I'm still preaching way out of my league because the gift of God on your life does not necessarily mean that your life completely is equated with, and don't just look at me that way because we're all that way, sure. including Billy Graham sure. and the Pope. And the Hermans, Hermans. <laughs> but if we're going to be statesmen and stateswomen, I promise you this, God will create seasons and allow the fiery trials so our words will be worth their weight. We grow through wilderness times, and there are long times of faithfulness through hardship and struggle where we're up and we're down. Make our words seasoned and strong. We all need to listen as God unfolds the steps to statesmanship. We all need to ask God, God, I don't really care about being a statesman, but Lord, whatever you say through me, let it be worth my weight in God, even if it's not worth my weight in gold. Search for the sages. Are you getting anything out of this? Two more points about Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon had a promise from God that he would see the Messiah before he died. The Holy Spirit told him so. And later, Simeon actually has the blessing of, of the long-awaited promise God made to actually hold it in his arms. Imagine that. And I just want to say this to every elderly saint, that you believe that when you die, you're still waiting on a promise that you thought would be in this life. Here's what I believe. God will hold you in his arms as you die and then give you the promise when you pass over. Come on, somebody. 
He was waiting on the Messiah. Where was he waiting? Connecting consistently in the house of the Lord. He had a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit. Remember my earlier messages when I said Luke, a doctor, used the term of autopsy about all this information, the eyewitnesses? He's taken an autopsy of all these stories. He's unpacking layers because he wants us to have confidence in things we believed. There's Simeon and there's another. Enter Anna. Here's what it says about her. There was also a prophet, which actually means prophetess. She was a female, a female prophet. He highlights something here too. Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, uh, manuscript, there are just as many manuscripts in the Greek that are valid manuscripts, highly touted, that say she lived as a widow 84 years after her, after her marriage ended because of her husband's death. So she could be way older than 84. She could be 91. I kind of lean on that that she's in her 90s. And here's what it says about her. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day. And what was her worship like? Details, fasting and praying. Her worship, and I'm, I don't know if she liked Hillsong. I don't know if she liked uh, Maranatha music. Oh, you Jesus hippies from the 70s like me. I don't know if she, if she liked K-Love. Or I, don't, I don't know what she listened to or whatever. But what I do know, what it does say about her worship, the heart of it, the bedrock of it was fasting and praying. And she's been doing that for 84 years, never leaving the house of the Lord. A ministry of worship and intercession. She never left the temple, and she had discernment about Jesus. And when she spoke about Jesus, it's so important, her, her message had clarity. Luke is weaving this through. Here are these elders. And they're speaking into the lives of these two transgenerational people. Will Mary have something going on in her life in the future? Right? There's an intersection. Say intersection. intersection. There is always an intersection if we are faithful to God, not perfect, but faith meaning your heart. When you fall, you get up. You're always before the Lord. And He knows it, even if no one else does. He knows your heart. If your heart is before the Lord, turning to Him, turning to one another, and you want to follow His will no matter what, and your worship is sacrificial, meaning God's will be done. He will always include you in an intersection of the messianic plan for the ages in certain happenings in your life and in mine, whether you're old or whether you're young, whether you're young and whether you're old. Somebody say amen. amen. And one of the things we have to do is turn our hearts to one another over and over and again and watch Simeon's turn to the young. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow, can you imagine? So the Spirit's on him. Now watch this. Not only is the Spirit on him, he's moved by the Spirit. We have to move with the Spirit. We have to move with the Spirit. Moved by the Spirit. Where'd he go? Into the temple. If you want the Holy Spirit to move you out into the world, he usually launches your life from the foundation of the house of God, connected to the people of God under the Word of God. I felt like I was Joyce Myers when I was saying that for some reason. I don't know why. He went to the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, I love this, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, and then we'll see later what he said. And I just want to stop there. What do you think Joseph and Mary thought when that happened? We do a baby dedication someday, and some saint of sage comes from the back and comes up and knocks me out of the way and says, get out of the way, young worker snapper, and just swoops up that baby and says, this baby right here, 
When you're a statesman, you can get away with that. He says this, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, verse 29, sovereign Lord, that means you're in control of everything, and here's a moment that proves it. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. I mean, my job's done. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. Look how he describes Jesus, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. God has prepared moments for each of us to walk into if we walk righteous and devoted. Righteous does not mean you always have it going on the right way. It means your heart's before God and you're listening to his voice. And if you veer off and you hear his voice, you veer on. Righteous. Heart. Relational. Planted in the house of the Lord, clothed in the Holy Spirit, God has moments for us. Simeon describes Jesus. He says he's a light to non-Jewish people. Here's what God wants to do through our lives. God wants to guide you and I to people who don't know the story of the ages. They don't have roots of growing up in the house of the Lord. They haven't lived under the oracles or the blessings of God's word. And he wants to move them toward him through the message about this child, through the lives of his children who are moved by the Holy Spirit. And also glory to the people of Israel, meaning everything the people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the prophets and the kings ever longed for would be fulfilled in this little baby. We don't know how long Simeon waited on that. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm an expert on God's ways because I'm not. But in my life, a lot of times where I felt like he made a promise to me, I assumed it would be like in four months. And sometimes it's four years, 14 years. Um, the last one he made in Malachi took 400. So I bet you Simeon waited a long time. And what did he do while he waited? He was, he was Decaius, Eulobus. The Holy Spirit was on him, and he was in the house of the Lord. Let me just say this. You can, take a, you can take a picture of this one if you want. Not that you have to. Don't put me in it. Next verse, next slide. Just read it. Just let it sink for a minute. Live stream, it says, nothing can enhance the quality of your soul and lengthen your days like holding on to the hope of a revealed promise from God. My golf mentor, Gary Francis, is out there. Gary, do you agree with that? <laughs> Simeon and Anna give a new generation great clarity about who Jesus is. Simeon starts, verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, ready? This child, he's going to describe Jesus, is, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The way he lives is going to cause people to fall. The, what he reveals is going to cause some people, many people, to fall. And what he reveals is going to cause some people to rise. And you're going to be surprised and who falls and who rises. Because this is an, what kind of kingdom? Upside down kingdom. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus isn't going to get applause from everybody in the world. 
Jesus isn't going to let the world just define him as kind and nice. And the way people respond will reveal their hearts. And a sword, look at this, will pierce your own soul too. Jesus is like a magnet that is attractive to some, and surprisingly, the people that were attracted to Jesus were not Bible expert, narrow walk people in that culture. They were the outsiders, the sinners, and the common people. Today, it's opposite. Some are going to turn from it and fall really hard, and some will harden even more as Jesus reveals himself, and the rock of Christ will crush them. That's in every gospel and in Peter's letter. Crush them. Don't forget that part of the gospel. Clarity matters because people can't turn to God if they don't need God because they think God just accepts them because he's nice. Mm -hmm. There is a sacrifice once for all that every person has to come under. And I know it's a psychological mess up for the head to go through the book of Exodus and see what God did. That's why it's not preached much. That's why Genesis 18 isn't preached much and Revelation's never preached. Because we have a generation that isn't psychologically healthy enough to handle truth. Some who are humble and fallen will come to light and open themselves to him and rise beyond anything that could ever be apart from the grace of God. And every generation has been given a stewardship from the apostles to say, give the whole counsel of God the entire gospel that once and for all has been entrusted to you. Simon even adds this, parents. Parents who have kids that want to follow Jesus wherever he wants them to go. Simeon adds this to Mary. There will be pain involved at times in your faithfulness, even if you are the parents of the Son of God. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Now that's honest, and that's true. Storms will come, and not everybody in your path will hold a great big celebration party because you turn toward a holy life with the Lord or you seek to follow the will of God, or reveal the will of God. He will be a light on you and in you. But sometime there will be a target on you, just like it was on Jesus, for people to shoot at. Because Jesus and the people who follow him will always be a target of great evil, because evil wants to contend about generational blessing. I know, right? Anna's turn. Gotta hurry. Coming up to them at that very moment, God moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She brings clarity. Redemption of Jerusalem, they thought, remember what we said before, they thought the Messiah was a political kingdom. He was going to tear that up and make Israel what it should be, right? Righteous laws, all that stuff. That's what they were waiting for, Jerusalem to be released from the tyranny of the Roman Empire, and she brings clarity and and, and talks about a spiritual kingdom instead of a political one. We need clarity too, right? Do you know that Jesus isn't a liberal? And he's not a conservative, he's not an American. And I'm not so sure he even cares about the American dream or anybody else's dream. 
He has his own. He has his own. No new gospel, just his. That's good enough. He's not given any generation editor's rights to his word. I want to end with this. Here's some points I want to share with you. I think we're there. Oh, where are we? No, we got, we got 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, Lord, they returned to Galilee, that's way up north, to their own town of Nazareth. And I love this. Remember how they did it? Remember the intersections, the generational blessings? It's, and, and, and I love this. And the child grew and became strong. Wouldn't it be great if your kid that's in Shine Kids, if your kid that's grown up in our church, your baby, 15 years from now, and she grew strong in the Lord, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on her. And he, four years old, went back home, grew strong in the Lord, wisdom filled with wisdom, and the grace of God. Let's just bring it home to all of us. How do we, what do we do with this? This is something 2,000 years ago. Sorry about six people. We don't know. Whenever. Here's what it means to us. Number one, God will create enriching and life-changing moments for you even if you've experienced great loss in your life. Anna. Seven-year marriage. Doesn't say it was good or not. It might have been. Maybe it's so good she knew no one would ever match it. Again. But he can create great, enriching, life-changing moments for you and through you. Number two, search for the sages who bring clarity and share the stories of God's faithfulness. And they're worth their weight in God. They're not giving you lucky charms stories. They're giving you time-tested that's come through the dry wilderness pathways of their own life, telling you the hurts and the hardships, the ups and the downs. One of my best leadership lessons I ever taught was titled, The Lessons I Learned Living on Dumb Dumb Street. <laughs> I'm still there at times. Younger generation, this is for you. Important questions for prayerful meditation. We'll get to number three in a minute, but I just want to keep this one going. Are you getting the full message about Jesus? The full message. Are you willing? Are you psychologically open to allow the word to go deep into the truths that, that aren't comfortable, but they must be accepted because a generation that doesn't know it's right from its left doesn't think they need to be saved Save from what? Why would you need to be saved if God's just nice? He is nice. He's very nice. Way nicer than the nicest person who's ever lived. But he's God. Are you willing to go on a journey with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask you again, young, young generation. Are you willing to go on a journey with the Holy Spirit. He moves to go deep within, to go deep within, to go wide without, to be willing to leave your comfort zone 
When I grew up, people were in the pulpit, missionaries challenging young generation to consider why you'd be an exemption from God asking you to take your life and go to somewhere else in the world and preach a gospel to people who've never heard about Jesus. Or to give up something and go get away with the Lord somewhere. Do you have a passion to be a statesman so that your worth, whether your words are weighty in God? Number three, it's for all of us. Don't forget the Joseph story. Mary, 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 Matthew talks a little bit about Joseph. Listen to this. Joseph, we don't know anything about Joseph except he always got Mary and Jesus where they needed to be. That's all we know, right? We don't even know if he was a good carpenter. We don't know if there was a backlog of people saying, hey, the cabinet's crooked, and I know your son's the son of God, but I need you to come back here and fix this. The roof, the roof is, Joseph, I heard this story, I believe it, I'm with you, but man, my roof is leaking, dude. We don't know that. He might have been spectacular. It might have been Joseph, man, up and down all through Israel. But here's what we, all we know, all we know is that Joseph just got Mary and Jesus where they needed to be at the moments they needed to be there, and that's powerful. If you feel like you're common and ordinary and maybe your spouse gets the flare line, you just do Joseph. Church, same. You know, my dad did that. My dad was never in the hallelujah club. My dad never did a hoop de doo at the altar. My dad, my dad uh, could always tell a true blonde from a fake. My dad was meat and potatoes. He had a used appliance store down on the avenue. Those who live in Carmelie know where the avenue is. Those who know it's Virginia Avenue. Right down near the K bar, underneath, you know, one down the subway, right, Carl? I guess they still make the fries. I don't know. They do? But he just got us where we needed to be so God could do what he needed to do. Number four. Keep the house of the Lord sacred in your life, in your home, in your family. You know, I've watched kids who grew up and, 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 and had a, a sarcastic, scornful way toward pastors and churches and all that. You know what, kid? It's hard if your family or parents are like that, but blessed is the person that doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. The last thing you want to do as a parent is to un is to uncover the nakedness of people who are imperfect, but God's using to be a blessing to your kid. Keep it sacred. Keep the house of the Lord and the people of God sacred. Run from sarcasm and all that. Your children will reap the fruit of such honor and reverence. That was worth a lot of money right there, what I just said. I'll just leave that up there for a minute. I can't tell you how important that is. I'm just going to leave it up there a minute. I'll say it too. Keep the house of the Lord sacred in your life and your family. Your children will reap the fruit of such honor and reverence. And finally, and this is my prayer for you and for me, may the Holy Spirit always be upon you. May he move you. May he lead you. And may he speak to you. 
May he break through in your life and break you out of the things that hold you, the fears that keep you from stepping out, stepping out, stepping away, going on, leaving the, leaving the nets, leaving the oxen, leaving your family, leaving the, the comfort zones. May he break through and give you the courage and the wisdom to know that you're leaving nothing behind. It's hard to imagine the freedom you find from the things you leave behind. And when you get old, and listen, young generation, let me tell you this. It's not cliche, it's true. When you get old, you'll realize it came way faster than you ever thought it would. You're going to want, <laughs> you're going, you're going, listen, you're going to wonder if what you did mattered. Even if what you did really mattered, you're still going to wonder. A.W. Tozer in his last days wondered if anything he did mattered. I found this estimated life expectancy study from the University of Penn that I took, and when I did, uh, when I did uh, a meeting with uh, a, the Gen, a Gen Now group a year or so ago, I got them to do it. It's uh, www.blueprintincome.com. But anyway, none of the, touted by Wall Street Journal, Time, and other periodicals, they, where you do a life expectancy test. When I took it, they asked you questions, right? And my life expectancy is 90. I have a 25% shot to live to 96. 50% shot to live to 90, 75% shot to live to 81, and I think I'm a, I'm a pessimist, a little Eeyore in me, so I just mathematically calculated 81. That means I've got 24 years to go. 24 times 365, when I did that, means I have 8,760 days left. And I don't want to spend the rest of them vegging on Netflix. And that scares me. I don't mean it freaks me out like, woo, but hey, teach us to number our days. And literally, I just did that. I'm shooting, I'm hoping higher, trying to lose some weight, trying to get it right. Do a mathematical chart of your life expectancy, and when you look, I, I, I was figuring out, I've been preaching here for 27 years, 27 years. That's with the way it used to be with multiple services and all that, I've preached over 1,500, probably 1,600 sermons. Every week I write 2,700 words. I, I write my sermons. And the reason why they're long, I want you to get your money's worth. I don't want to give you lucky charms. I'm going to stand before Simon Peter one day, and he's not interested in how cool I am. He wants to know, did you preach my five chapters? Or were you just too spiritual? You were following the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit told me to write that, so. Investments in people as the line of the living friends thins down will matter big to you. It's not mattering to you as much this morning as it will 50 years from now, but I promise you it will matter more at that time than you could ever imagine. You will have paid, listen, here's, I want to say this. I'm not saying I'm this guy. I'm not saying I'm a legacy man. I'm not saying I'm Simeon. I'm not saying I'm a statesman. But you will have paid a price to get to the place of legacy if you get to a place of legacy. It will not be granted to you. It will have been earned through faithful devotion in the grace of, the, of God. 
Would you stand, please? And you close your eyes and maybe put your hand on your heart. Do you have a minute? Do you have three more hours? See, quiet before the Lord. David said, Lord, I stilled and I quieted my soul before you. Would you do that right now? Teach us to number our days. You know, when the prodigal had it all figured out, he said, Father, give me. When he went and got his brains beat out by the world, he came back and said, make me. A full revelation of Jesus comes to those and flows through those who are on the make me wheel. On the make me wheel. We're going to open these altars. You can find an altar in your seat, whatever you want to do. And we ask you to speak to us, Lord, all of us, all day long today, not just now, we tune into your word and your voice. May your Holy Spirit come upon each one of us. So we turn our heart to you. And we turn our heart to one another. Speak to us personally. It's not what my friend's doing. It's not what my brother's doing. It's not what my family's doing. Like Elisha said to Elijah, well, I will, but first I gotta go back and tell my family. No, Elijah said, what's that to me? And off he went. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, well, you know what? I don't even have a place to live. Let me first do, hey, that's not on me. You, you gotta do what, you gotta go, you gotta go do the kingdom of God thing, friend. Change generations through young people and elderly people who will take this personally and filter out Tim McGregor and somehow through the mysterious way God uses jars of clay speak to people. For in every generation you're calling Samuels, Esthers, Mary and Joseph. People who have never been known the priests of Israel never cared who these people even were. Didn't even know it. Didn't even know that the whole Messianic plan was intersecting right there on that eighth day after Jesus was born. But two old people, what do they have to do? Nothing's common and ordinary when your extraordinary grace is melting us, breaking us challenging us, comforting us, soothing us, holding us, and never forsaking us. May the Holy Spirit be upon the rest of this service, but more importantly, on the rest of our day and the rest of our lives. Guys.